I'm Barbara Bray. Welcome to my Rethinking Learning podcast, where I have conversations with inspirational educators, thought leaders, and change agents. Oh, I got somebody here today. I am so excited. Oh, I love having you here, Tara. This is Tara Martin. Hi, I'm so excited. Thank you for having me today, Barbara. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, I always tell everyone a little bit about, I like to boast about you a little bit. Is that okay? (laughs) Oh, of course. Who doesn't like to be flattered? (laughs) (laughs) So here goes. Uh, Tara Martin is an inspirational speaker and author of Be Real, Educate from the Heart. Oh, I just have to tell you, I, I saw that title of your book and I just went, Wow. So I have a copy here. It got post-it notes all over. (laughs) Oh, that makes my heart so happy. I'm so glad that you wrote it. It's just a really wonderful book, but we're going to talk about it. So thank you. That Tara firmly believes machines and artificial intelligence will never replicate an individual's real identity, the unique strengths, talents, and life experiences of every human. Oh, I, I definitely agree with you. Yes, ma'am. Tara's ambition is to lead a culture of innovative change and to motivate others to become the best they can be, all while staying real and yet never reaching a plateau. Welcome, Tara. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be on the show today. Oh, this is just wonderful. I even love saying what you just, you know, what we put together there because it, it just resonates with me. It's all about purpose and feeling valued and being real and having having a book with that title i this could go way beyond educators it's just wonderful you know my husband mentioned that when i wrote the book and he read it so many times bless his heart but he said this should be be real live with heart yeah (laughs) forget educate with the heart i think live with the heart (laughs) live with heart Well, maybe that's your second book (laughs) <laughs> maybe so yeah it may go out there it's one of the self-help books on the self-help you know number one list you know <laughs> hey I like the sounds of that yeah yeah let's look at it so what I usually like to do is find out a little bit of your background you know tell me about you your family where you grew up um I grew up in southeast Texas um I moved to Kansas 11 years ago with my husband um, actually met my husband in high school. I was 16. He was in college. He was 19. And we have been married for November. This past November has been 20 years. High school sweethearts still going strong. I mean, there has been valleys and mountaintops, of course, along the way, but he's a fantastic person and has always been my greatest fan for sure. Okay. Wait a minute. Um, um, Happy anniversary. 20 years is a big one. What's his name? His name is Daryl Martin. Daryl. And we have a sweet boy. His name is Caleb Martin. Caleb is 17 this year. He's a senior. So we are embarking on... In fact, my husband is downstairs right now helping him fill out scholarship applications. Uh, He got accepted into his first choice college. So we're... We're pretty excited about this new chapter in our lives in the Martin household, but that's it. It's just the three of us, and we live in Kansas and absolutely love it here. We live out on a farm with no animals, <laughs> but we have we have four-wheelers and a pond and fishing, and we live close to the lake, and so my boys are very outdoorsy, and I am not, but I like to cook 
and stay at home when I'm here. I travel a lot. So they fend for themselves a lot, but we're just, we all have different interests, but we make really cool family dynamics Uh, anyway. I like to see you on the four wheelers together. That would be cool. (laughs) Oh, I can totally send you pictures. In fact, it's snowy out. And so Caleb will drag his friends with a sled tied to a rope on the four wheeler around the property. It's super scary. And there haven't been any injuries yet, but I'm I'm sure it's coming one day. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's too much. Um, How fun. Well, I didn't even know it snowed. In, well, I guess, yeah, it says snow. It's been really bad storm. So, yeah, you, you get lots of snow. This lots year. of snow. Yeah. So um, since you grew up in Kansas or did you grow up in Texas? Where, when did you I said- grew up in Texas off the coast, uh, right on the border of Texas, Louisiana, on the coast, right where all the hurricanes hit. Ooh. So um, very different from Kansas. You know, Kansas is super inland and um, we have four seasons in Kansas. In Texas, we had hot and rainy and that's it. <laughs> hot, humid and rainy. Oh my gosh. Well, you that means you started, you were in school in Texas though, mostly. Yes, ma'am. So, so what was it like for you as a student? So as a student, you know, I grew up in a home life that was less than stellar. It was an abusive home life. So school was certainly my safe place. It was a place that I ran, as Dave Burgess says, to get in and not out. And it didn't matter if the teachers were engaging. That was my favorite place to be ever because you got hot meals and sometimes you got hugs. And so school was a place that I I loved going there. Um, unfortunately, though, as a student, as especially as an early elementary student, I struggled in school. Uh, it wasn't easy for me. I was not reading even when I got into the second grade. And so my second grade teacher, Mrs. S, was fantastic. She just saw this little girl that wanted to learn more than life herself and um, taught me to read. Every day when I got off of the bus, she tutored me. And I, it was so cool because I got to go straight into class and like all the kids would be lined up outside of class. And I thought I was super special. Like I just thought I was kind of a favorite. I didn't even realize I was getting tutored, but I learned to read that year. She would give me a granola bar and a hug. And honestly, I don't know all the strategies she did use to teach me, but that year I leveled up with my peers. And from that moment forward, I've always been a high achiever 4.0. Like I've just been a really excellent student. And so she saw something in me that just inspired me all along to believe in kids and, and not to not to place them in this box or to say like, your family is like this, so you will automatically be like that, you know, but giving every individual a chance to be the real, the real them. And that's where kind of Be Real has been so embedded in my heart because every single individual has their own identity and they get to be something that they want to be. And so Mrs. Shelton, when she told me, I believe in you, Tara, you are an overcomer. And she would tell me stuff like you aren't determined, like you aren't defined by your circumstances. And as a second grader, I didn't know what all that meant, but I understand it now. And I'm so thankful that she changed the wiring of my brain, if you will, because she made me think differently. She made me believe that I too could become whatever I dreamt I wanted to be. And 
And really from, I still hold on to those words and it's like 35-ish years later, I still hear her and I can smell her perfume. Like it's so vivid in my mind. And I think as adults, as people that serve others, we just need to express that to them. Like, I believe in you, you've got this and help people to chase their dreams because it's possible. Nothing really is impossible if you put your mind to it. Just what you said, just almost brought tears to my eyes because I know so many people that struggled in school but didn't have someone like Mrs. S and or Mrs. Shelton, you said. It's just amazing. Having those words, I believe in you, is so important. They're so powerful. They're so powerful. Yeah. I call those heart words. I think they are heart words. They mean something more than the seven little letters, believe. I mean, that word is a heart word. And when people say that to you, that matter to you, it means something. And you can hold on to that. You can anchor like your thought processes on those words. That's what I've done. Wow. So that changed you. I can see. I can see. It ultimately changed you. And that's probably why at that point it triggered something in you to want to be a teacher. Is that kind of what happened or... Well, I didn't actually want to be a teacher then, but a teacher had a very high place in my life, you know? Uh-huh. And so I I actually wanted to be a doctor um, all through school. I wanted to be um, a neuroscientist, actually. I mean, by the time I graduated, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to study the brain and really just understand all of the cool facets of the brain. And so... Um, I went to school to be a nurse first because I needed to get a job that I could sustain myself and then go on to be a neuroscientist. And turns out, Barbara, I can't handle blood or anything <laughs> disgusting. So <laughs> my professor, right off the bat, I almost passed out multiple times in clinicals. I got all the way to nursing school and I was like, this is just so not for me. Like, I want to do this so bad and I love studying the body but I can't be a nurse first. I just want to be a neuroscientist. Well, it just wasn't going to work for me financially. My scholarship wasn't going to be able to cover all that. And so um, I went on and we decided to change my major. She said, well, what, have you ever thought of doing something different? And I'm like, well, I kind of, I teach Sunday school and I love it. So maybe teaching. And she's like, oh my goodness, this is so different, but let me get you an intro to teaching class and see what you think about it. So that summer I did one month of an intro to teaching class and I loved it. And the coolest part is all of the science that I had studied with the brain applied directly to education because you're dealing with students, you're dealing with all these ways of thinking. And it was just cool to combine the two worlds together and to get into the field where I belonged. Well, it's perfect now because the idea of neuroscientists and studying the brain is big now. Everybody's trying to pull that in and you already have that background. I love it. Everything I do, I think about the science behind it. (laughs) So um, where did you start teaching? I started in Topeka, Kansas. I started inner city school there. Uh, 90, about 90% free and reduced lunch. So we had a variety of socioeconomic backgrounds. Absolutely loved it. These students um, that I got to work with, my students were much like me growing up. So it was so cool to be able to give back to 
children who were facing obstacles even greater than what I had to face and being able to help encourage them like Mrs. S encouraged me. I was a third grade teacher, so I had them young and I got to just experience what it's like to go into the houses because there's no phone, there's no working phone, no email. So making these house calls and sitting on the floor with these parents and and just talking to them and helping them to understand that I get it. I, I, I at least can relate to where you're coming from because I too have experienced something similar. And so helping them to understand that while I look like I might have it all together now, this isn't how it always was for me. And so I want to help you. Like we're a team. And I'm very grateful for my experiences in um, Topeka, Kansas. I got to spend a lot of time with a lot of students who inspire me to this day when I get emails from them. And they're like, I'm a first generation graduate too, just like you. And it just melts my heart. It makes me so excited. (laughs) It's pretty cool that you can stay connected to some of your students from then. Oh, it's adorable. They send me Facebook messages and (laughs) emails. (laughs) Oh, well, you made a difference. If you told them like Mrs. S did, I believe in you, they probably really needed that. And so they will always remember you. They're so sweet. I'm so proud of so many of them for just overcoming, like I said, obstacles even greater than what I had to overcome. And becoming what they want to be. Oh, my goodness. This is so wonderful. I worked in in the Bay. I'm in San Francisco Bay Area. I worked in Oakland. Similar kids. I Mm -hmm. was just like you. I loved working with those kids. They they really, really appreciate someone who cares. You know? Exactly. You're like their mom, their counselor, their everything. I mean, they were my babies. I still think of them as my babies. Um. And I, I love it. I loved every minute of working there. I worked there for six years. So it was it was definitely a hard job and so much diversity, not only uh, socioeconomically, but academically and just all the way across the board. So very exhausting job, but the most rewarding, honestly. Well, I think when you work hard like that and you see results and you see the kids turn around and, and uh, be appreciative and even care about each other. Mm-hmm. That's all. It's, it's all about that. It's not just um, getting their grades up. It's not that. And so right. I just, I, it's really fun to talk to you about this because it touches my heart too. Cause I, I really miss it. it don't, don't you kind of miss it a little bit? It's just, I do. Yeah. We were like a family. Um, that's one thing we, we established from day one, you know, this is, this is our class family. We're all going to protect each other. And I love it. They were so fantastic. And they were, they were the parents as well. I mean, I had parents that <laughs> they would protect me at all costs, you know, <laughs> against anything scary out in the world, you know, walking to my car at night in the dark, and it's not necessarily a safe place. There would be parents out, there would be a parent out there like watching out for me. I mean, these parents were great. We were, we became a classroom family, not just the students, but the families as well. Oh yeah. Well, you built it that way. If you, if, especially if the, if you build that culture in the beginning and you really build mm-hmm. the relationships, you, we had to go visit the parents too and the families. And it wasn't always that easy. Some of the areas yeah. were kind of scary. So <laughs> You're right. But, and, yeah. but it was so cool. Like yeah. once you built that relationship, they are always take looking out for you. Yeah, they are. I mean, I still remember I, I get calls from some of them also. It's it's wonderful. 
So you said you did six years as a teacher, and then what happened? You you became a coach. So I became an instructional coach. Okay. Um, actually, did four years as a teacher. So I worked six years in Topeka Five Hundred One. Uh, I worked two years as an instructional coach, uh, and then I moved over to another district, my home district. And I've worked. Uh, I worked as an instructional coach there as well. What, what district is that? Lawrence, Kansas. Oh, Lawrence. Okay. Home of the KU Jayhawks. <laughs> <laughs> and so I loved coaching, Barbara. It's my favorite. I originally was trained by Bruce Wellman and Laura Lipton. And then I later was trained by Jim Knight, who is in our hometown right here at KU. And, um, you know, later after becoming like coaching is my heart. I think, I really think if you can learn to have effective conversations and help people to recognize their strengths and stretch them to strive for the next best thing in their own life, then you really are serving your purpose. You're serving the world. And so coaching has always been something that I've held dear to my heart. And I I think no matter what role I'm in, I'm a coach. Like it's just ingrained in me. But I later became an administrator of coaches at the last district I worked in was Auburn Washburn. And I loved it there. I loved uh, starting a coaching program from the ground up and then um, actually training them with this hybrid approach with a little bit of Bruce Wellman, Laura Lipton, a little bit of Jim Knight, and a little bit of just good, good conversation and working from that angle. And honestly, I think even now I, I work as um, I work with Dave Burgess Consulting and I, I speak around the nation. And so coaching is something that just always happens. Like it never fails. You're starting a conversation. You're leading with humble inquiry. You know, tell me a little bit about yourself. And then before you know it, you're like, wow, you are talented at this and this. Like, how are you using this to better serve those that you, you, um, your students and your um teachers in your, in your realm of influence. So it's cool. It's just coaching is just always ever present, no matter what role you're in, in really no matter what profession you are in. If you're a good conversationalist, then you have some coaching abilities. So you're talking to someone <laughs> who has been a coach for almost 30 years. It's something that I, I feel it's so important and it's not easy. I have to tell you with teachers, if you tell them, oh, you could you know, coach someone else, or you can mentor it. They don't know how to not jump in and do it for them. And sometimes exactly. coaches, it's easy to do that is to say, well, let me just show you and push them out of the way. And let me show you what well, that's not how you do it. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, you have to uh, kind of, just like you said, it's like getting to know the person, finding their strengths, um, building that relationship and then helping them grow. And, um, I love, I'm like you, it, it means so much to me that, um, I, I, I feel like I still have to find ways to help and support others, but in the process, I'm learning a lot about me. Have you found that out too? Agreed. I, uh, journal daily. And so oftentimes, Barbara, this is so crazy to put on the air, but whatever, (laughs) Um, I will coach myself, you know, like if I've gone through a situation, I'll just start asking questions of my, you know, writing the question and answering it until I get to this place where I've paraphrased what I've just spilled out, just like I would if I were coaching an individual, listening to learn, you know, I'm listening and I'm learning all these things about them. And so I often will 
saying, so what I think, so what I think you're going through, like, it's just so much. And then I'll point out a few things that they've listed while well, do that. So to myself, you know, okay, <laughs> you just re- vomited all of these words. And then it's, so it looks like this, this, and this are the key things that you're so concerned about. How are we going to address these three things? Like something bite-sized that you could actually conquer. And that's how I work with people that I'm coaching. I try to take this big, huge thing called life that's stressing them out and take it into some bite-sized chunks that we can actually make a difference. We can take and use their strengths and the bite-sized chunk problem and accomplish something and and set a date where we're going to actually do some action that takes care of that piece of the problem. And then we can just keep working through it like that. And I feel like if you can coach yourself <laughs> and you can coach others, then you understand that there is there are ways to overcome these things that clutter our life. You know, and I think that's what happens a lot of times when we deal with educators. There's so much pushing on them. And so you have to help them as a coach and as a conversationalist, as an administrator, to chunk it up and use what they're already good at to help them accomplish some of these goals. Well, it just sounds like you're using empathy. You're, I use a design thinking process for myself sometimes, starting with me as the product, <laughs> you know, like that same yeah. idea and do the same strategies with people. It's like, you know, look at you and, and try to figure out at first. And some people just don't know how to do that. So it's really good to walk them through, like you just said, and, uh, and, and then to I try a- and model it yourself. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I think that's the key. And I have a web, you know, on my website, there are resources. So TaraMMartin.com, there's resources and there's a Real Talk Treasures real resource. And I have a video to walk you through the Real Talk Treasures, but that's kind of the way I lead my conversation, you know, through those treasures. You know, valuing individuality would be number one. And then humble, leading with humble inquiry. So not trying to solve their problem or even identify their problem, but just asking them a question, allowing them to share. And then, and then listening to learn. I think that's the key where you talked in earlier, where always we are trying to jump in and solve the problem because that's what we are. We're problem solvers, but listening to learn like their perspective and then paraphrasing it back to them. Like, okay, this is what I think I hear you talking about. Now let's see if we can chunk this up and getting to a place where you can actually not only help them act, but then share out, openly exalt their awesomeness and how they conquered this problem. Because I think it's important to show the staff, hey, so so so-and-so was working on this and, and look how amazing the final product is. You know, not highlighting me that I helped them get there. No, highlighting them for overcoming this great thing that they've tried or, or cannonballing in on some new activity in their classroom. Well, when you think of coaching, you look at like sports, the coach is there to support that, you know, they're helping them become, you know, the best athlete and become, you know, the best they can be. They're not trying to say, look what I did. Look what I did. It's not about you. Exactly. It's the same idea. And so um, I didn't know we were going to talk about coaching this much, but this is like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) we might have to cut. No, no, this is actually, you know, um, what I find that's really difficult is listening. And what I'm trying to get people to do when you say listen to learn um, that active listening piece is so difficult because one, teachers don't feel they have enough time. They have to get to the point. They have to go to the kid curriculum. They they don't listen to their kids. They don't listen to sometimes other teachers because they're in a hurry. They're so busy, you know, all of that. 
So taking the time, I'm just wondering, how do you build in the time with people um, to do this? It's I, I just work a ridiculous amount of hours. Oh, no. Because <laughs> everything that you would get done during the day, you know, you pretty much have to do in the evening. But it's worth it to me to put in that time then because you can just solve so many problems by listening right then and helping them to overcome this rather than letting that go and build on to become something worse or bigger. It it never fails that that taking that time to listen to learn at the onset is worth your time. I'm going to get to your book because um, <laughs> I, I've, I've read it. I've been putting notes all over it. You have cute pictures in here. And you talk about the, you know, real. So I'm just going to, you have these acronyms. It's an acronym for R-E-A-L. So let me just say it. Relatable, exposed vulnerability, always approachable, and learning through life. Let's start with, let's just talk about relatable right now. So I think really we've hit on that a lot with the Real Talk Treasures. And I even talk about that in that section of the book. Being a good conversationalist is huge for becoming relatable. You know, when people think that you listen to them and you value them as humans, you know, they feel much more comfortable to come to you and to ask you a question or to reach out to you, even virtually on Twitter. I love it that people are like, it's so funny when they send me a DM and they're, they'll say, you know, you are the book snaps founder. Like, I'm sure I shouldn't be sending you a DM. And I'm like, whatever, I'm just a human on the other side of the computer. You know, if you have a question, please do tell me. And so, but I love it that people feel okay to ask me because I'm constantly showing myself to them on social media in real life as relatable. And it could be so simple as a smile, as a gentle demeanor, um, not being harsh or thinking you're better than someone. I mean, relatable is so, <laughs> so big, but it's so easily felt. And you know, when people aren't relatable, you know, when you walk up and you feel intimidated, that is not a feeling of being able to relate to someone else. And I think if we could just be real, if you strip titles, you strip statuses, you strip all that from every single individual, we're real humans. So we should just get down to the thing that we have in common, being a human, and and be relatable to people. Well, I like that, and I even saw that you're a hugger. I'm the I'm a hugger. I am such a, a hugger, hugger that someone said to me, <laughs> you know, it looks like you love everybody. I said, well, I do. I <laughs> I, I love hugging. I love hugging. Oh my gosh. It means it's just that connection to people, and especially people I've met on Twitter or social media, and then I see them in person. Isn't that the same thing? You just go, oh, they get a hug. Like, even if you're not a hugger, you're going to stand there like a stiff board because I'm probably going to hug you. Oh, it's going to be. It's funny because I spoke in um, a little tiny town called Fancy Farm, so precious, this past fall. And um, I ran out of books. But during the keynote, I had talked about being a hugger. And Barbara, this melts my heart is one of my favorite stories. But at the end, I ran out of books. So there were no more books to sign. And in and give out uh, or sell, but they had this massive long line. They were all waiting to give me a hug. And it was the most precious moment in my speaking history of date to date. 
And I love it. I still think about it all the time, just waiting to give me a hug and tell me a little bit about themselves. Oh, and so, do you have pictures of that yeah. line or anything? I think I think somebody tweeted a picture of it. I was so in the moment, so I didn't have pictures of it. But I think someone tweeted a oh, picture of it. It was just so, adorable to me. I mean, one of my issues is I I think I have self hundreds of selfies with people. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with them all, but I just love it's like these p- people you connect to. They are just so wonderful. And and you're right. You can tell when someone's not real. You can, you feel it. You can't. Yeah. You know, I forgot to ask you about books and naps before we go on to the others. It's okay. Well, we can just talk about the others too. Like, you know, exposing Uh vulnerability is kind of goes along with relatable. You know, there are times where we just have to share parts of our story. I used to not want to share that you know, my childhood, and I really don't still, there's a lot of things I'll probably take to my grave uh, there, but there are times where, you know, an opportunity presents itself. And if you could share an overcoming story to someone else and they can actually overcome because of it, because they feel empowered by your story, I think then it's the right time. And certainly not airing your dirty laundry all over the world, but there are times and places for certain stories, but there's always a time to share like, Hey, I really messed up here, but I want to tell you what happened next because we're not going to glorify the failure. I'm just going to tell you what I learned from it and how I moved on. And this is now what I'm doing. So I think, you know, with exposing vulnerability and being approachable, all of those kind of go together. Like you can feel when you're approachable or not, it's back to being relatable. But learning through life, that is the one I'd like to spend just, I know we're running close on time, but I want to spend a little bit (laughs) on learning through life. I, you know, as, like I said, as a little girl, I used to think, man, it's so unfortunate that these are my circumstances, but I learned so much from that upbringing that I am so much more empathetic now as an educator, as a human. And I, I just... I feel like my heart can speak to other hearts in a way that it wouldn't really ever happen like that if I didn't learn from my experiences as a little girl in a in an unfortunate situation. But I've know I've learned at an early age that every obstacle and every event that comes through my life, it teaches me something new. I can take parts and pieces of it. Like, this is what I definitely want to do again. And this is what I definitely never want to do again. And, and the way that person's acting, I don't ever want to act like that, you know? So I learned a lot of what not to do as a little girl too. And I think if you could ever view life through that lens, it's amazing. So Booksnaps was one of those. After I joined Twitter, George Kuros talked to me into getting on Twitter. It was crazy. I saw him speak and then he made me feel super guilty for not being on Twitter <laughs> in 2016, <laughs> summer of 2016. So I haven't been on Twitter that long. And um, I wanted to give back. He's like, don't just be a consumer, be a contributor. And I was like, what am I, what do I have to contribute? But I was reading Teach Like a Pirate. So I was trying to figure out how to use Snapchat. My son loves Snapchat. He lives on it. And I was like, how do you use this app for something edu-awesomeness? You know, like, can this be edu-awesomeness? And I was taking notes and drawing pictures in my book as I'm reading Dave's book. I mean, it's so intense and so enthusiastic. And so I took a picture of it with the Snapchat app. 
And then I called my son down. I'm like, Caleb, come teach me how to do this. I want to take this visualization that's happening in my mind and recreate it with bitmojis and emojis, the language you guys love, and annotate using the text feature on this app. And you got to show me how to do this. And so he showed me and I had this picture and I'm like, what am I going to do with it? Oh, I'll send it out to Twitter with my all two followers, George and um, my husband. <laughs> like I had no followers. I had no idea what I was doing. Wow. And I just gave it the hashtag book snaps. And Dave loved it. He's like, what is this? And I'm like, this dude is real. I've never even met him like at that moment. And he was like, this is the coolest thing ever. I thought I was breaking copyright. I was really nervous about it. I'm like, you like it? And so I wrote a guest blog for him. And before we know it, now today in 2019 of January, we have 20 countries and 17 languages using BookSnaps as a comprehension strategy. So it just goes to say, if you have an idea, cannonball in and try it. You never know like what will become of it. And you know, Barbara, if I knew now, I would call it BookSnap because rarely does anyone ever put more than one out there. But then I called it hashtag book snaps because I didn't even know what I was doing, throwing it out on Twitter, my newfound uh, place to share and contribute because George told me I needed to contribute. So I was trying to get back <laughs> and I had no idea this would become a movement. But I, I think it's just so cool that if you have an idea, share it out there. You never know what might become of it. It's so cool. I love, I mean, to me, I mean, I, I started following you, I think, right after because I saw it <laughs> and I know George and, and it was wonderful and I love that it did. And now this all led to your new role. Yeah. So my new role as the media and communications director for Dave Burgess Consulting is amazing. It's a straight up 180 learning curve outside of education, a little bit, a little bit outside of education. I work only with educators. So in a way, I am still working with educators all the time, but the publishing side of the world and the media promotion side is definitely different, but I absolutely love it. I, it's, it's another one of those learning through life experiences. And I start to make all these connections of how, if I can do this, then I can do this. And if I can accomplish this, then I can accomplish this. And I love sharing that with the world because, you know, this role is new. We are, I'm, I'm the first one to attain this role in this company. So I get to build it from the ground up. And that's what we're doing for students. I mean, we are preparing them for roles that they may be starting from the ground up. And so YouTube is my BFF. I spend a lot of time on YouTube learning all kinds of things and reading articles and stuff. And I think that's important to know as educators that there may be jobs out there that these kids don't even know about. And they actually get to create them for themselves. So we need to teach them to be lifelong learners and constantly learning on their own without somebody throwing training at them. And that's one of the things I kind of love about my role and being able to share that when I speak out at, for educators, you know, sharing that with students too. You can, you can learn to do some things that may not even be a, a role, an actual role yet. Oh, well, you know, it's when you look at your background and everything and how you've kind of collected all these skills and and people and resources yeah. and everything, it's kind of led you to this role. It's perfect it's for so you. Cool. It's so cool. And in just connecting with Dave, I mean, he was my first book snaps, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's how I met him. And then Dave and Shelly just believing in me to write this book. And then they're like, I believe in you so much. Like, we want to hire you. Oh, wow. It's 
it's interesting how, and so nobody can tell me that Twitter connections aren't real. They're real. I mean, these people are like my family, right? And they're my bosses. So we just need to be mindful that anything can happen and you can become anything you want to be. You just have to keep trying and learning and growing and have this open mindset that that anything's possible. Oh, I love it. And my one word for 2019 was possibilities. So that was perfect. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Yeah. We should end right there. <laughs> well, we are. So <laughs> uh, this is just, I just had so much fun talking to you today. This is just wonderful. And we're going to pull together a, a blog post and put all the links and resources, maybe find that some of the pictures you talked about <laughs> and put them up. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, you are welcome. Have a wonderful rest of the year. I can't wait to find out what you do next. (laughs) Oh, I know, right? What's next on the TMM journey? I don't know. (laughs) Thank you, Pam. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Tara Martin. Look for a complimentary blog post on my website about educating from the heart. And we pull together resources and links for you there. So please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and we'd love a review. You can also subscribe to my website at barbarabray.net to receive announcements and updates so you don't miss any of the conversations.